Welcome back to the podcast. My name is a Giant Hipster with a Beard, and I'll be hosting today's episode of Unseen Supreme, the non-essential movie podcast. I am joined today with my lovely co-hosts, Actress and Black Shirt. And today we're talking about... about <clears throat> today we're talking about... This is going really well. I was about to say Unseen Supreme. Today we're talking about Unseen Supreme. Talking about that, and we're talking about Under the Silver Lake, directed by David Robert Mitchell. Oh boy. Anyway, how are you guys doing? What have you been doing lately? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm trying to give people, you know, a little periscope into our lives. Fair enough. Doing good. Keeping it 100. That's what the kids are saying. Maddie, what about you? I am doing good. Just working. Um, Working hard, but at the same time, so bored during the day. There's just not enough things for me to do. I think that's the epitome of the phrase working hard and hardly working. I am working hard. And hardly working. I don't know about y'all, but I feel like I'm I'm custom made for this this uh, seclusion and working alone, not leaving the house. I, I feel like I'm right there with you. I don't. I don't think I ever trained myself. Holden to, was already doing this. I was already doing this before. <laughs> I didn't need a pandemic. Well, so have you guys been uh, thinking any? You know, I need to. <laughs> Apart from talking to the doctor about finishing finishing my sentences, I need to talk to my doctor about my voice cracking. Um, so, have you been thinking about the little rascals any anymore? Anymore? Huh? I think about it every day. Um, no, good. not at all. You haven't been thinking about your favorite characters, or you know, drop kicking. I remember. I remember watching it. I remember fondly watching it, but um, it was such a good memory so long ago. <laughs> you haven't been yearning for the good old days of. Movies that didn't have, you know, cryptic, multi-layered mysteries to solve in every shot? No. No? No. Is that all. a no? Maddie? Maddie, is that a no from you? No, I think uh, I think every type of movie is valid. I have to think it depends on the type of person you are. How much you read into something. Little Rascals might, you know, unlock the mysteries of... Feminism and socialism? Yeah, a feminism and socialism. I think it's a hard critique on socialism. <laughs> Um, As you proved in our last episode. (laughs) Yeah. And that brings me to this week's podcast, which, you know, this week's movie is a little bit of a head scratcher, so to speak. I found myself scratching my head many times. Mm -hmm. It's just, you should get one of these head scratchers and just, you know, sit there during the movie and just constantly. Holden just literally picked up literally picked up an actual head scratcher right to show us. Just in reach. It's always in reach. But today, why don't we take a deep dive into Under the Silver Lake? Maybe not, you know, a well-formed dive, but maybe, you know, one that Mr. Bean makes, you know, on an Olympic-sized diving board. It's a little more, you know, huddled and a little bit of a teeter off into the deep end of Mysteries we'll never solve. Cue the music. And music plays here. <laughs> you know this girl? Been trying to find out what happened to her. Our world is filled with codes, subliminal messages. Could be any of this be connected to Sarah? Of course. Crack the codes. They're as common as tits and hamburgers. Add it up, add it up, add it up. I know this girl. Add it up, add it up, add it up. I need to know what it means. 
questions beyond what you will ever understand. <laughs> All right, so should I start with uh, cultural or my personal context with this movie? Cultural. One is way longer than the other. Side note, how many pages long are your notes? I have 13 pages of notes here. Holy crap. This is Holden's favorite movie. Apparently. I just just think it's fun to parse, and we're going to get into, you know, how I feel about it now versus how I felt a year ago. I loved uh, watching a movie stretch out and be comfortable in its own skin, especially when put up against, you know, blockbusters like The Avengers. I think that was what, you know, Endgame was coming out in 2019, wasn't it? That seems right, right? I'm sure there was a Marvel movie in 2019, yes. Well, whether whether it's Marvel or not, the end of the day, it wasn't really put up much against anything because, you know, I'll talk about that in a second. But I saw this purely out of curiosity. Um, I loved It Follows. And I had wondered what A24 saw in this to uh, pick it up. I admired its little neoclassical film noir, Hitchcock reverent style. All those styles kind of melding with David Lynch and Paul Thomas Anderson. The music, which reminded me a lot of Vertigo. And it was something that made me think. And it wound up sticking with me for days after I watched it, which, you know, normal movies, I don't, I don't think do that. But, like, I think my initial appeal to this was that I love conspiracy theories. I mean, I have books from the 50s on UFOs. I like digging deeper into anything, whether it means something or whether it doesn't mean something. And so drew me like a moth to a blacklight with its technical mastery, but it might have been a little too convoluted. Anyway, (laughs) let's talk about the cultural context. This movie was made in 2016. It was filmed in 2016, and it did not come out until 2019. That's not a good sign. It is not a good sign. So in 2015, uh, December, uh, The Force Awakens uh, is released, and in February of 2016, that movie becomes the highest-grossing film in North America, beating Avatar and the Baby Boomer movie. Other top-grossing films in 2016 were Batman vs. Superman, Rogue One, Captain America, Civil War, Deadpool, Suicide Squad. You see a trend going here. Uh Uh-huh. Totally. Suicide Squad, Zootopia, Finding Dory, and The Jungle Book. (gasps) I feel like Disney owns all but two of those. Three of those. Hey, wait. I need to know what the Baby Boomer movie is. I don't know what it was. I was trying to think of the baby... Baby boss. Boss, boss baby. baby. Oh, gosh. <laughs> boss baby. Boss baby. I thought you were trying to be covert about Early contender to Avatar movie. is boss baby. <laughs> <laughs> A I, lot of people really like boss baby. I thought you were talking about Titanic because Avatar, <laughs> Avatar unseated Titanic is highest grossing film. And then... No, I'm pretty sure it unseated boss baby. <laughs> well, I'm sure lots the of things. animated film boss baby. I, I imagine most things... Unseated boss baby. Are you talking about just you know what? You know what movie didn't make it to theaters and made less money than Boss Baby? Under the Silver Silver Lake. Lake. (laughs) Under the Silver (laughs) Lake. (laughs) So I'm not surprised. uh, Neither am I. Unlike the rest of those movies, which are not head scratchers, this one. Well, so let me get into. This isn't really head scratcher territory either, because those are the top grossing films of the year. 
Um, but the indie hits of 2016 were The Witch, Midnight oh. Special, Everybody Wants Some, The Invitation, Green Room, Neon Demon, and uh, God's Not Dead 2. Oh. <laughs> the way he looked at me when he said that. God's Not Dead 2, Maddie. <laughs> Um, also in 2016, Leonardo DiCaprio won his first Oscar for The Revenant. Oh, oh good little boy. Good little boy. <laughs> um, Hamilton became a Broadway sen- sensation in I 2016. It well, yes. I remember I still didn't know Hamilton when 2016. This is a big, this is a big year, this 2016. 2016 you know? was a big year, period. The Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. Beyonce drips, drips. Ugh. Beyonce drips her lemonade. <laughs> you know, she. <laughs> oh boy, Beyonce drips her lemonade, uh, and it. But unfortunately, it costs more than just a quarter. Oh, the Chicago Cubs okay. win the World Series. The guys, the Chicago Cubs win the World I Series. I don't care. I cared so much about that. Yeah, guys. these are all things that I have very little interest in. Well, uh, do you? Well, tell me this: Do you have but, interest in be- Brexit? Do you have interest in Brexit in the in the sustainability of the UK's economy? Because that also happened in 2016. Man, there's a lot going on in 2016. It was a crazy. You, you year. know what else happened in 2016? The Zika virus became a worldwide <laughs> epidemic. A worldwide epidemic. I don't think we've known anything to mm. have a worldwide impact as much as Zika did. <laughs> Tell me, do you rem- do you? It, I, you know what? I forgot about Zika. I forgot about because half you know of what the things on your list. But you know what we're going through right now? We're going through coronavirus. Are we? A world, another worldwide epidemic. I'm I'm ending I'm ending on the lowest note with this cultural context right here. The Zika virus, or is there, is no. there something even lower? No. <laughs> Because you know what else happened in 2016? Apart from the Zika virus was that uh, Donald Trump won the 2016 presidential election. I should have And known. I cried in my car. It's no wonder that this movie was completely flew under everyone's radar then with that long and prestigious list of events that, just, that you just laid out for us. I mm-hmm. can't imagine why no one saw this movie. Yeah, because oh, they wait, were probably busy. Because it came out three years later. Yeah. Right. Well, and I, I, I think that, you know, the three years was, you know, taking the time to mourn the loss of, you know, David Bowie, Prince, oh Muhammad Ali, Carrie Fisher, Gene Wilder, Debbie Reynolds, Anton Yelchin, oh. Ellie Wassell, Gary Shandling, Merle Haggard, Such and a bad Balls, year. you know, and Balls Mahoney. You know, a true living room stable, Balls Mahoney. What's Balls Mahoney? You know what? We we may never know who Balls Mahoney was. What? Much like, much like the meaning of this movie, Under the Silver Lake. <laughs> that was the best. You see how I tied it in? Yes. You see how I tied it in there? I saw you spying on me earlier. No, I wasn't. Okay. 
see tomorrow. Good. Sam, played by Andrew Garfield, is a disenchanted 33-year-old who discovers a mysterious woman, Sarah, played by Riley Keough. Is that how you say your name? Sure. Uh, who was frolicking in his apartment swimming pool. When she vanishes, Sam embarks on a surreal quest across L.A. to decode the secret behind her disappearance, leading him into the murkiest depths of mystery, scandal, and conspiracy in the city of angels. Oh, all under the Silver Lake. Yes. So, <laughs> what did you think of Under the Silver Lake? Now, I know there's a lot to unpack here, but let's just, let's get our feelings out there and we can talk about the questions you have. We can talk about your theories all in due time. General thoughts. Maddie, what'd you think? I enjoyed it. Um, I kind of could feel going in that there was a lot I would need to pay attention to, so I took a copious amount of notes. Like, I didn't stop writing while watching it. Because um, I thought, oh, that could be a clue. That could be a clue. Uh, most of it is not a clue, I think. But <laughs> I had fun watching it. Like I said, I don't know that I would watch it again because there was just so much going on, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was entertaining. John, I, what did you think? I, initial reaction of the movie, I, I did not care. I did not like it much. Um, I... I may have started it too late. The first time I started watching it, fell asleep about halfway through. I uh, had to start it over again the next day. Um, and liked pieces and parts of it, but overall, knowing or having watched this movie, I can definitely tell you that I probably will enjoy the discussion of it more than I actually did watching it. And I think that's a really important thing is that I think, you know, after diving into this movie for the podcast or whether, you know, I had my initial reaction after I watched it last year, um, I think that I feel differently about this movie after multiple viewings. And after digging deep, I figure, you know, I, I sat here thinking to myself and I feel like it's more fun and to investigate. You know, that's why you have a good first viewing is you feel it feels good to investigate and it feels good to answer, you know, ask these questions and to write things down and to think that things are important and to look for symmetry. And that's more fun than at the end of the day watching the movie. If you have to, you know, that's why, you know, Maddie says that she wouldn't feel like she needed to watch it again. But the act of watching and the act of thinking about important things made her like it a little bit more. It seemed like a, a little bit of a I spy novel. And novel. I can see how Look. that might be a draw to an audience. Um I, I imagine this movie found its audience. You do have to look into it deeper to kind of come away with an understanding of the movie or the meaning, the deeper meaning behind everything. There's a lot of superficial things that I think work. There's a lot of deeper things that I think that don't work. I agree that this movie has a certain appeal to a select demographic of viewers. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm one of them. Yeah. One of my questions was going to be, and I think we kind of answered it was, um, is this more of a movie to be solved than to be watched? I think we, I mean, I think we answered it kind of indirectly. I mean, to me, 
I would say to be watched, but I think for Holden, because you've spent a lot of time like really digging into the theories, right? Mm-hmm. I think for you, it would be to be solved. I think it depends on the viewer. I, I think, yeah, I think it does too. I think a movie should be designed to be watched. There are some things in this movie that you can't know watching the movie. You have to decipher some things afterwards. I think that that's also part of its design. And that's why I think there are some people who walk away with this. I don't want to say deep or true understanding because that sounds like it's a derogatory uh, viewpoint. But there are things in there that you have to go look up after the fact. Like you can, there's Morse code, there's ciphers, there's all kinds of things in the screen that sort of... uh, will lead you in other directions and hopefully Mm -hmm. would sort of answer some of the questions that you might have. I don't think it does. I don't think it does answer those questions. So I think it's purposefully vague, but I could be wrong. I could tell you that it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily get to many answered questions. Um, And after reading that much, like I can tell, I can tell you for a fact that it doesn't, it doesn't ever reach a conclusion and what you wind up feeling more at the end of the movie is probably the most accurate and most, you know, worthy takeaway you can have because once you start going jumping down the rabbit hole it's it, you know, I'll talk about some of this stuff, but it seems, you know, pr- purely referential whether that's, you know, the images in the movie or the music or the yeah. inspiration or not. Yeah, I mean, it felt like the director was trying to create like a more of an interactive experience. I just didn't have any interest in going down those rabbit holes after the fact. This doesn't mean that like, I would enjoy that in certain, certain circumstances. I just, this movie didn't draw me in, in that way. Mm -hmm. Like I enjoyed the performances. I, I I do like Andrew Garfield. I thought it was beautifully shot. Um, There's a lot of fun ideas that are in here, but I think they work individually. Like, I don't think it all comes together. I don't think it all lands. And I don't think a movie has to sort of always give away its secrets, but, um, I think that these smaller fragments of ideas are more interesting to me than how they all are cohesively. Yeah, I almost think that, you know, they're purposefully just layering in red herrings and, you know, hobo code and Morse code and all of these, you know, rabbit holes to, you know, follow. But I think think they don't really lead anywhere and you almost spend more time trying to solve it with without reaching a conclusion than you do watching it. So does that take away from your enjoyment of it existing in a, you know, two hour and 10 minute runtime? No. Okay. So you still enjoyed it despite its mystery? Yeah. Because it is setting the viewer up to sort of start to look deeper, be, uh, out of the gate, you have to sort of, it's, it's, it's programming you as a viewer to be like, okay, make sure that you're watching these details. It shapes your viewing experience. And so right. I, I think it wants you to engage and not just mm-hmm. sit and watch, um, which a lot of movies are designed to just be, a, you know, to what's, what's the phrase, just get you out of your reality for the two hour runtime or whatever. It, right. It's a right. Distraction from reality. This one wants to draw you in. It wants to engage with you. It wants to create an experience where you're um, looking deeper. And because of that, it really shaped my viewing 
how I, how I approach the viewing of it. Like I was looking for these things and I, so because I was looking for these things, I was trying to connect dots. And when all the, some of the dots weren't connecting it, 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 it actually ended up hurting my viewing experience. Cause I was like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. Am I just not getting it? Uh, am I not smart enough for this movie? Which is also a possibility. I'm not a smart man, but like, because it was wanting, because it was shaping that as my viewing experience, that's what dictated my outcome mm-hmm. eventually. Okay. Fair well, enough. This, this, this kind of thought uh, kind of informs my question to you, which is with a movie trying to take such a stance on so much, do you think there's ever a central theme here or, or no? Cause you know, this, this, this movie wants to comment on, I'll just list off a few things you can, you can take and run with whatever you want, but uh, these are things that stuck out to me. Um, but um, a commentary on, you know, the vampirism of pop culture, um, the Harvey Weinsteins and the uh, Jeffrey Epsteins of Los Angeles. Is this about, you know, the objectification and the idealization of women and celebrity? Um, is this obs- being, you know, this this sense of uh, voyeurism? Is this obsession with other people's lives when yours doesn't mean that much? Um, is it just that, you know, rich people know things that we'll never know? I think it's all of those things. Um, I think it's generally the trappings of Hollywood or the Hollywood ideal. I think it's uh, everything, how the system is designed and set up to benefit those who are have, or have all the power are running the system. Um, it's all designed to attract the next starlet, which is then pushed out to the masses. And I, so I think it is all of those things. And I think that that's what makes the movie interesting is the stance that it, it's, it's trying to take or that it is taking on these, in these topics. I think these are important things to look at, um, which is, ultimately what I found to be the more interesting aspects of this movie. This is the theme that's like out front. This is what you can take away from this movie without having to look deeper into it. I think a lot of it is about disillusion, disillusionment. And uh, I wrote down, (laughs) this is what happens when mediocre men think they're special specifically about Sam. Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, he moves to L.A. We never know why he moved to L.A. or what he does for a job. He appears not to have one. Does or did. Right. But what he did for a job, why he, you know, what he's disillusioned about. Because I, I want to find the line that I wrote down. Okay. So he's talking to Topher Grace and they're spying on this girl in her apartment with Topher Grace's drone. And uh, talking. And Andrew Garfield goes... Um, something like, do you ever feel like you're living the bad version of the life you're supposed to have? Mm-hmm. And it's like, he thinks his life is supposed to be one thing, whether that's being a star in LA or whether that's like having this, you know, romantic partner that's going to be the perfect one for him. Right. And for some reason, he thinks that he's entitled to some better version of this that he's not working for. You know what I mean? Well, he yeah, and he also talks about this is this is the modern modern persecution complex right. that we're taught yeah. to be special and that we're taught that everyone is out to get us and that it's someone else's fault other than ourselves. 
uh, much like uh, Alfalfa thinking that Darla doesn't like him because uh, <laughs> uh, uh, he... Uh, I love a good callback. We should always try to find some way to connect <laughs> previous movies into the current one. I think <laughs> Sam good. I think Sam is uh, a representation of, yeah, the like the modern day viewer or the people that... Um, or the dark side of that, right? So I think that we don't know what he's doing. It's kind of not important. Yeah. Uh, if he feels like if he feels like he should be living a better life, there's an entitlement there because we're like you said, we're not seeing him work for anything. So he's really just he's absorbing this uh the, the what Hollywood has to offer. He's he's the end user and mm-hmm. he, he's a voyeuristic end user. So he's just mm-hmm. taking this all in and represents to me, that's what he represents in this movie. It's that's his importance. Is like he's that which this entire system is set up. He's he's the one buying the ticket, taking the ride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also think he is mentally ill. <laughs> there are there are lots of theories surrounding that. Yeah, when you think about like you know, especially men or younger men or whatever who are idolizing starlets who are watching movies or I mean, even, I mean, even with this cultural phenomenon that happened where like, you know, all these actresses photos were leaked online and it became this huge thing. That is the, that's the systemic problem. Like he represents that thought. Yeah. And the thing about him is that it's not just starlets and like famous people and actresses that he, does that with it's you know the older woman older topless woman living across the street that he spies on right and it's you know the the girl with the dog down by the swimming pool at his apartment complex yeah it was still all voyeuristically like right from a distance so but it's like all women um well this leads me into another question um which is do you think that this is a sexist or misogynist Movie. Misogynist. <laughs> you know, is uh, this a misogynist um, a movie? Uh, I can't tell you how bad like a, I think those sections misogynist movie is. It's like a weird mix between Christopher Walken and uh, Bill Cosby. <laughs> Bill Cosby. <laughs> If you ever wanted to know, if you ever wanted to know what Christopher Walken and Bill Cosby's voice would sound like mashed together, we've just experienced that. Yeah, be sure you uh, rip the audio from this podcast and save that because you won't get it anywhere else. Make it your ringtone. I think no. I think because it beats you over the head with how gross Sam is and how gross his voyeurism is, and I mean the the scene where he jacks off to the Playboy plus the. The all those like magazine article and you know all that weird stuff like it's gross. It it doesn't make his lifestyle and his views on women appealing. Mm-hmm. Nor the the rich guys, the the Jeffrey Epstein's. Like you know, they're very clearly this gross. is gross. This is not how things should be. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lazy critique to say that because a character has these character traits that it makes the entire movie that thing. Like, right. This is holding a mirror up to this behavior. This is a, it's a morality tale. It's, it's a warning against this. It's not glorifying it in any way. 
So I think it's kind of a lazy interpretation of that movie. If that if that's a, a consensus out there that this movie is misogynistic, I think that's just a the lazy. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the conclusion that people who want to be woke and want to be, you know, leftists and progressive and feminist. Mm-hmm. If your takeaway is that this movie is at its core misogynistic or sexist, it's a weird take to have when it's... Yeah, actually- maybe saying more about the person, the viewer who decides that than the movie itself. I, I listened to a podcast where I listened to a gentleman talk about how it was not very long into the movie when he turned it off and came to the conclusion that this was something that he wanted nothing to do with. And it wasn't because of the way it was made or anything like that, but it was just the point of view and the perspective that the camera takes. And he had a severe problem with that. I do think the tone of there, there was kind of a speaking of like him beating up the children scene, like (laughs) there was something that did for me land a little strangely with that whole scene because like the the reason why he's punching a kid in the face is because those children are keying very expensive cars they're keying penises on like luxury vehicles and egging cars and so you you set us up to like these are bad kids and he's upset that his car was keyed and then he just overreacts but it's not like he just beat these children up in a vacuum like <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, he shoved mm-hmm. an egg. He turned the vandals' tools of vandalism against them um, in in that moment. So it was there was I did I, I had a hard time wondering if that was some sort of weird. Are we supposed to dislike? We're supposed to dislike this character based on this, but then it also kind of felt like some sort of strange wish fulfillment on the on the uh, mm-hmm. on the fact that this was written into this movie because I think it was designed to make me feel a certain way about the main character. But then it's sort of clouded by like the actions of the vandals, um, and because they're young, you know, if they weren't, if they weren't young, I could see how they might deserve a smack. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's. I think maybe more than making you feel a certain way about Sam, I think it just points to his um, underlying unhingedness, his his mental state. That's that's how I see it. Yeah, normal people would never punch a teenager. Or, Fly I mean, into I don't a know rage how, like that. Speaking back to our last episode, I don't know how... Yeah, I don't know the ages <laughs> of anyone under 20. They all just look 12 to me. So I have no idea how old those kids were. They, that's probably accurate. <laughs> yeah. And also, further, let me go ahead and say that I don't condone punching children. or Except Waldo. I mean, even then, that was more of a bit... Yeah, if you took that more away a, from the last episode that John likes to be violent against children, uh, you're sorely miscalculated. I was trying to be funny. I don't really think you should drop kick children into ditches. Well, so I want to kind of turn this around because I know we've had some, you know, some critical thoughts about this. But did you I've have... I've had thoughts. I've had thoughts. I mean, it's hard to kind of think about because I, I, don't, I don't know if I could answer this question, but was there a favorite scene or part of the movie that you that stuck out to you was did you have a favorite part i don't know that i can pick out one so like the party scenes i really enjoyed and the one thing i did research about the movie was the locations i found listen i love la and i love east la thank you i love east la i know people think it's the grimiest yuckiest place but i like silver lake i like echo park I like where the movie takes place. Um, So this article I read about the locations, it talked about 
David Robert Mitchell, that's his name? Mm -hmm. David Robert Mitchell had the idea for this movie in this bar in Silver Lake. Uh, so they would try to, you know, get that move that bar as a location and they'd have to come up with like a, a second choice for whatever reason. But then like the one party that takes place in like the caves underneath they go down underneath the uh the like mansion where the brides uh solo concert is happening and it's like oh, in the cave in the mausoleum they go yes after the, the you know the concert in the well, you have concert to, in the mausoleum well you have to eat the cookie the the drug-laden cookie to get in yes right? yeah. yeah he eats the they whole go thing under that party yeah that, i mean just seeing a picture of what that normally looks like and then how they transformed it for this big underground party i thought those oh, scenes okay. were really cool it's 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 cool because a lot of that is shot at Griffith Park. Like, you know, his park outside of his apartment is Griffith Park. I love the, Griffith the, Park. The caves there are Griffith Park. The observatory is Griffith. I don't think I would have done well at any of those parties. I would have been the guy in the corner eating popcorn shrimp, just wondering what the hell was going on. <laughs> I would people. have been asking to eat other people's cookies as they came in. Oh. Can I eat it for him? And if they didn't have popcorn shrimp, I would have brought my own popcorn shrimp. <laughs> I assumed. <laughs> I assumed that you were stuffing it in your pockets. Yeah, like, no, at a movie I'm theater. I am never without popcorn shrimp on my person at all times. Interesting. <laughs> just want to put that out in the world. That is my truth. John, what was your favorite part? My favorite part, let me tell you, guys and dolls. Um, I, I think the composer was my favorite part. I don't think I like where that ended up, but I kind of liked the idea of the composer that there was just yeah. somebody behind, you know, all of the, all of the world's hits. There was one guy writing these. I don't, I don't say I liked it because I actually agree with it. I just thought it was an interesting idea. It's a cool concept. Yeah. I don't care what's fashionable or cool. It's all silly and it's all meaningless. I created so many of the things that you care about. The songs that give your life purpose and joy. When you were 15 and rebelling, you were rebelling to my music. Uh-oh. That's one you know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually agree with that. I do think that there... There's a system set up built around talent. I think that there's a system that is built to exploit talent and to take advantage of talent. I think that it's there to make money, lots and lots of money. So playing into that idea where there's somebody who's at the center of that writing all these hits and then just filtering them out to all the artists of the world, I thought that that was an interesting concept. I listened to a podcast talking in an interview with Disaster Piece, who's the composer, and he said a lot of the song choices, while they're very noteworthy, they still had to think about licensing and rights and what they could use. And so he had written in other songs that may have made more of an impact, but they couldn't do because they couldn't afford or couldn't license. I don't know if there were Beatles or Stones or anything like, you know, or Zeppelin or anything like that, but mm -hmm. his idol was Kurt Cobain. And then so mm -hmm. it, it, he's playing through all these songs on the piano saying like, here's all the stuff that I've written. And he finally gets to... Nirvana, and I think that that's what sets our character off, um, and what what ultimately leads to the culmination of where this scene goes. And he, the and spoilers. then after he plays that, he plays. Uh, oh yeah, I guess we should reference that 
we are n- not shielding everything. you from spoilers. He ends up at bashing all. in the composer's head with Kurt Cobain's uh, guitar. Didn't he also play like a Beethoven or Bach? Just something completely outside played, of yeah, the realm Bach. of reality because he wouldn't have been alive. He have like been we know he's enough. old, but he mm-hmm. wouldn't have been alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and then he also played Elton John. Uh, I, I, I like the idea of that. I think it's an interesting, you know, story bit to have in there. I mean, okay, parrot aside, because I do think that's like a true red herring that annoys the crap out of me. But I think it could, if we wanted to, I think we could say that all of it, while it seems to rabbit trail off into unrelated uh, discoveries and issues, I think it all could be lumped under that same like disillusionment and corruption of mm-hmm. Los Angeles and of Hollywood. Like, I mean, his idols are crumbling before him while he's talking to the songwriter. And then, oh, I think it, I think it all f- falls under that category. And I also think, if nothing else, it could all just speak to his mental state and mm-hmm. how he's mm-hmm. losing it. He's mm-hmm. losing it. Well, for, you know, but, he's, yeah, I mean, if, if, if he is losing it, okay, so let's go on, uh, let's jump into that water real fast. Pun, sure, pun sure. intended. Go um, for it. Jump into the lake. First, the he's, if he is losing it, um, and this is just some sort, his mind spiders are taking over, and this is just some sort of big fever dream, he's being awfully productive. Like, he's, he's peeling back all these layers, and so... Are you saying that this is all just occurring in his mind? Like this is his mind's sort of, you know, yes. figuring out what it thinks that is going on. So this entire mm-hmm. movie is taking place in his in his head. That's my theory. Okay. I don't I don't I don't know that that's true, but I could definitely see that being the case. That's that's what my overwhelming feeling was when the movie ended. Yeah. Actually, all throughout the movie, I was like, this can't, he can't actually be putting these random pieces together and it actually leads to something. I, th- yeah, so I, I think I wanted to give the movie credit in the things that it's wanting to say. Cause like I said, it wants to say really important things about potentially really gross and bad stuff that happens in Hollywood. But then to put that all in the head of uh, someone who's having a mental breakdown. Doesn't that sort of devalue the morals that it's that is presenting in this movie? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think even if it is all a fever dream or psychosis and it's all in his head, I think there's still, you know, the truths that the movie's laying out are still true. I don't necessarily think it needs to devalue it. Well, I, I, I have a theory that I feel like this movie is making the audience Sam. It's perspective, it's point of view, it's choice of shots, it's choice of lingering is making you exactly like Sam is, whether you like it or not, which may make sense as to why this guy who watched this stopped watching because it made him this person that he didn't want to be. And I think it's succeeding somewhat in making us Sam because Sam sees meaning in everything and that makes him manic you know the one time that we feel like we get a true character moment with sam is when he's unloading his conspiracy theories onto actress in a nurse uniform in the bathroom while he's taking a bath because he smells like a skunk and he gets really passionate about talking about his conspiracy theory i've just i've just been thinking 
why do we just assume that all of this infrastructure and entertainment and open information that is beaming all over the place all the time into every single home on the planet is exactly what we're told it is. Maybe there are people out there who are more important than us, more powerful and wealthier than us, that are communicating things and seeing things in the world that are meant for only them and not for us. I think it's fucking ridiculous to assume that media has just one purpose, right? He unloads this thing and then the girl's just kind of like sitting there like, yeah, and he goes, oh, you think that's weird? And then all of a sudden it's thrusting us into his shoes. And it's making us follow these rabbit holes. It's making us see, which we'll get into later, it makes us see the owl's kiss. It makes us see the semblance between the magazine and what the serial map has, you know, overlaid on it. You know, it's making us see all of these things that Sam sees. It makes us see the squirrel. It makes us see okay, the squirrel so yeah, at the beginning. The squirrel just drops out of the sky and dies at the beginning. Is mm-hmm. what is <laughs> Yeah. Uh, why? I, I think that's the moment that you're getting put into Sam's shoes. I think that's the moment that you start thinking that something is supposed to be important. It's because you have no answer for this and something falls out of the sky. It's like Chicken Little, the sky's falling. Like he has this con- giant conspiracy. Like I think that's the moment when you're immediately put into you are Sam. You are not an audience watching Sam. You are. This perspective. H6 to G4, H6, to G4, NPM 1, 35 to 37, NPM, NPM. What the fuck does NPM mean? So for me, one of the most striking moments in the film is when, again, he and Topher Grace's character are using that drone. And the shot goes from us looking at these two characters and it goes into the camera being the drone. And all we're seeing is what the drone is seeing. And it zooms in, you know, on this woman's apartment. And she comes in and she has a very vulnerable moment. And it's very spooky feeling because you do feel like you're the voyeur and you haven't chosen that. I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah, the movie puts it on you. It's very uncomfortable because you're like, I'm watching this extremely vulnerable moment. So I think it's some of both, maybe. Yeah, and because it does start to unfold is like, you know, she comes in, she takes her top off, but then she sits down and starts crying because of something that probably happened to her earlier. The women in this movie are not having a good time. Right, Hollywood is not doing nice things to them. No, not at all. It's it's chewing them up and spitting them out. And I think that that also leads to the escort that comes over to Sam's house where the whole point of that is that they're starlets, like, this takes that idea of voyeurism further. It's like, do you want to have sex with the woman that you just saw in this movie? Call this company and they'll send her to your house. Right. So it takes it a step further. Is like, and these are all the, again, like these are the things that I find interesting in this movie that work on their own really, really well and have something really, have a lot of, and it has teeth. It has something mm-hmm. to say. I just get lost in everything else that surrounds all of it. And I think a big thing that this movie comments on is passivity, is this person kind of, you know, wandering through this landscape without an interesting life of his own and really trying to find meaning in a world that is so much more appealing than his own. 
Well, the only thing that seems to be appealing is what's being presented in the proscenium of the TV, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. everything that's going on around him, none of it looked fun to me. He's witnessing real life moments that sort of happen to remind him of uh, moments from classic movies. Well, let me ask, um, do you have any theories of your own after watching this? Uh, I think it's all on his head. Okay. That's my theory. All on its head? No, I, I don't. I think um, I'm more interested to hear other takes. Okay. Because I, I just don't know if like I care enough to go deeper. You are lucky enough to have someone who did do a deep dive <laughs> into a lot of the stuff surrounding this movie. So if you'd like, I can kind of... I'm not opening Pandora's box at all because all of this... We kind of reached a conclusion early on that a lot of this doesn't have semblance later on and it doesn't really wind up meaning much, but it is very interesting to get into all of this stuff. There is a subreddit entirely devoted to uncoding and peeling back the banana peel that is this movie (laughs) and removing the veil, whatever saying you want. Um, I want to hear the theories that people have come up with. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that this movie did find its audience. It sounded like it was slow out of the conspiracy gate. Conspiracy theorists and people who like solving things. Holden. I'm not surprised that it's a Reddit community. Right? <laughs> Just, <laughs> well, it's, that all has something to do with, like, I feel like this movie at the end of it made us Sam. I agree. I'm curious to, I'm curious to hear it. Well, and you might not be John, honestly. Like at but the end of the day, is. like I turned in, <laughs> I turned into one. Like I stayed up until three in the morning, several Holden nights. Is a dog killer. So passionate fans are convinced that there are hidden and meta clues, codes, and ciphers sprinkled throughout under the Silver Lake that are awaiting to be discovered. These include references to mysteries surrounding the identity of the dog killer various different ciphers or codes, geocoding systems, and even the analysis of the fireworks in the film. Um, they connect a sound pattern to uh, Morse code. Oh. Whoa. That's weird. It's a little late in the summer for fireworks, isn't it? I truly believe that. There is literally Morris code in the movie. Yes. There are literally ciphers on billboards. I'm yes. not at all surprised by any so of this. So I'll, I'll, one of the easy band-aids to rip off is that the fireworks are saying, Ascend Now. Ascend Now, that pertains to the one of the main the main ending of the movie. Yes. Right, is Sarah. That, is that and that's these, when Sarah disappears. These women are disappearing because they're all joining um, a rich and powerful white man in his eternal sarcophagus, which is the new pyramid under the Hollywood sign where they ascend to their eternity. Three brides to one gross rich man. So that's why she looked solemn after the fireworks, because it was that was her cue to ascend. Right. Now. Is that what I you're totally, saying? Gotcha. Yeah, I can totally see that. Well, so this would be interesting to just ask some meaning that you possibly adhered to certain things. We kind of talked about the squirrel already. What do you think the bird is saying? The parrot? Yes. No idea. That could drive me crazy. I mean, I wanted so badly for it to mean something, and I don't, I couldn't. 
in the confines of the movie viewing experience, I don't think we can know. Mm-hmm. Because if it's mm-hmm. saying something backwards, which we played records backwards, so if it's playing something back, if he's saying something backwards, we have to reverse the tape. Not going to do that. Right. So outside of deeper study, there's no way to know what the bird's saying. It did sound like it was saying Oliver, but I was like, that doesn't make any sense. So I'm going to assume that that's not what it's really saying. I think this was the red herring that Maddie was talking about earlier. It, it, it possibly could be. And this is. Well, I think it, this I think it definitely ties into the owl woman the mm-hmm. su- who comes in and murders uh, people after seducing them. And on part of his journey, he meets the zine writer. Who was mm-hmm. murdered by the owl lady? That isn't paid off, so that story thread just drops. And so, if if we're supposed to connect the parrot lady to the owl lady, that would be its payoff. But I don't think it does. So, what people have theorized is um, David Robert Mitchell said that there was an importance in the composition of the score um, surrounding this movie, which led people to kind of read into the parrot and what he's saying and the music and what it is saying. So a lot of people think it's saying Oliver, which could be construed to be referencing Olivier Messi. I don't know how to, I I don't know how to say this, but Messien, Messien, Olivier Messien. And he created the musical alphabet, Hmm. which is not a, B, C, D, E, F, G, it is a code using the bass and the treble clef and adhering all the letters of the alphabet to... Oh, God. To <laughs> notes of music. How, yeah, that is so deep into it. Like, And that honestly, that is where it ends. That's yeah. where it ends. Even that doesn't have its payoff. It does not. It, it doesn't. We have to go back to the 18th century with this movie. Like, that is so far gone. I feel like anything that you're going to tell us from here on is you're going to end it with, but we don't really know. I that still... is, I'm, I'm, I want to, pre- I want to prepare <laughs> you that that is what it is. As, as far as I can know, and we're going to get up to stuff with people researching stuff that happened two days ago. Oh, wow. I still want to hear it though. Cause I think it's interesting. I'll, I'll talk about it, but that's where that, that part ends. That's where all yeah, of and I don't, and the, the burp, I, the parent saying anything ends. I honestly think that it means nothing. And the commentary at the end of the movie, when he asked the bird lady, the naked boob bird lady, if, uh, the, what the bird is saying. And she says, I don't know. I think that's supposed to be like some closed book, thing of like Sam finally learning that he will never know everything and that he needs to be comfortable and not knowing things. My exasperation was like thinking that we were going to get somewhere with that and it ended up going nowhere. So that, yeah. that exasperates it's, me to no end. It's nowhere. I do think, I do have an idea that the woman, the topless woman across the, uh, in the adjacent apartment, potentially that could be like a, an older starlet that just has been chewed up and spit out by the Hollywood system and, she represents sort of the result of where this goes. Like mm-hmm. she's encouraging Sam's behavior, and ultimately, at the end of the movie, he joins her for a tryst. And I think that maybe she is somehow representative of an actress that has been chewed up and spit out by the system. I think that could be. I think this movie is really good at posing questions for you to make questions of instead of answers of, mm. um, which will lead to my next thing that follows the bird. During the day, he watches her and all of that. He watches, you know, Riley Keough's character 
and does all of that. Um, and then she disappears, but that night he has a dream of the girl again. And that scene is entirely ripped from a Marilyn Monroe film that was never released because she was fired from it a couple of months before she died. And it's called Something's Gotta Give. And you can look up screenshots from it. You know, they have little screen tests. Come on, get out of there. <laughs> no, 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 get back. <laughs> Come on. The water's so refreshing. You know, after you finish doing... Uh, <laughs> the color is the same her hair color is the same as Riley Keough's yeah. and that is a like frame for frame not word by word but that is a recreation of the scene that Marilyn Monroe filmed before she was fired so that kind of falls in line with like Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend What's the um, movie they're watching? Uh, How to Be a Millionaire. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, How to Catch a Millionaire. How to Be. The movie in question is actually titled How to Marry a Millionaire. Thank you for listening. Well, there's the, notoriously no one from a classic standpoint can represent that idea better than Marilyn Monroe, mm-hmm. who was definitely pushed to the forefront as this pinup. That's all people saw her as. Yeah. You know, Changed it affected her, name. her emotional state. All this stuff. Rich men killed her. There you go. Who killed her? The Kennedys. Oh, yeah. We're going to get on Let's the list. See. Another <laughs> rabbit trail. <laughs> the FBI is going to come knocking on our door. Well, that could just. <laughs> one of the first clues is in the very first shot. And that scene alone in the coffee shop has three hidden messages in it in that whole turn from the window to Sam. Other than beware the dog killer, is that one of them? Yeah, other than beware of the dog killer, on the window there is a gentleman wearing a shirt with symbols on it that oh. are animal symbols. They're animal symbols in little circles, little icons. You're supposed to take every first letter of the animal's name and you're supposed to spell out oh, a good code. God. What does it spell? <laughs> It spells beware of the dog killer right before Uh, the camera turns to Sam. And then the next framing is Sam blasted up against the window. Which says beware the dog killer. Beware of the dog killer is reversed. And a lot of people have thought that it means beware of the God killer. Mm. I can see that. This, This whole movie has kill your idols. That's yeah, which could go into another discussion about which he which which he literally does. He literally like, does. Even though even though he doesn't know that the composer or the songwriter is adjacently his idol, who he ends up killing, and I don't think he's the dog killer, but I could be wrong on that. You I don't. Wanna, I want to read. No, we could talk about that. Give me one second on this God reference thing. Um, so someone said that uh, God could be an illustration of how Sam has lost control of his life and the only way to feel some version of it is to remove the mystery of fate or God from it. Sam also talks about how he missed out on the life he wanted 
And his views on life, especially on women, reflect the idea that there are other factors he blames for his inability to live his own life. Be the kid, be it Jesus, be it the songwriter, be it the rich man in the hut. I want to read a quote from a Reddit. This is coming from r slash under the silver lake. And I want to quote Anton Babinski-2020. And he postates that the dog represents false gods. That is a false purpose and meaning to your life. God backwards. The coyote is authentic purpose. Over time, the authentic purpose has been twisted and warped into a dog as means of control and to prop it off of people. Notice the large stuffed coyote in the songwriter's room. There's nothing on this planet that has the potential to bring people more joy than dogs. We're supposed to dislike the dog killer. People that kill dogs in movies, we instantaneously hate them. Because they're serial like, killers. They, they're, they're the worst of the worst. Like if you, can, you can kill 80 people in a movie, but if you kill a dog, we, you've lost the audience. <laughs> That's why I don't think that he's actually the dog killer because the movie at no point cues me into the fact that he is the dog killer. You don't have to have a doctorate to get into the uh, under Silver Lake uh, comment thread. No, but if you're gonna be if you're gonna be deep, it helps that if you can actually have something to say, which is why I don't speak deeply on things. And I'm talking about Babinski, not you, Holden. Please don't think. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I'm not taking it. Because Maddie has a look of concern on her face. No, that, I, no, 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 no. I honestly didn't hear what you said. I, I'm this, this, is, <laughs> this this sounds like just people with their coffee shop philosophies mm -hmm. or in mm -hmm. college i mean i took a philosophy course in college and like most of the conversations are what if we're all just brains in a vat what if this <laughs> and that? And you're just like yeah what if good but like i think everyone wants to apply deeper meaning to things and like that's why we have babins i sure and hope Anton babinski, babinski doesn't become a listener babinski and if like, you're listening I we're so gonna, sorry i'm gonna post this stalk on, me on, <laughs> on on the reddit thread i'm gonna i'm when, as soon as coming this drops, after you babinski Okay, okay, okay. Here's my theory. <laughs> I think there could be some truth with a little T to what Mr. Babinski has said, like the juxtaposition of Lincoln and Kardashian. But I think the reason he has those dog treats, the reason I think he's a dog killer is because it all comes back to his ex-girlfriend, who we discover towards the end of the movie. And at the beginning of the movie, when he's feeding a dog treat that he just happens to have to Sarah's little white fluffy dog. He said, she asked why he has a dog treat. And he's like, oh, I had a dog recently die. And we're like, okay, interesting. Mm. We see him staring at these billboards with the girl's face on them. We're like, and the, the billboard says like, I can see clearly now. And you're like, oh, does that mean something? No. Towards the end of the movie, we meet his ex-girlfriend and she's the girl from the billboard. That's why he was hung up on the billboards. And we find out when he gives the treats over to the homeless king and defends himself saying, I'm not the homeless king. I'm not the dog killer, right? You said, I'm not the homeless king. He, he, said, he says, I'm not the dog yes, killer. Yes, yes, yes. He says, I'm not yeah. the dog killer. Because I, ha I carry these treats around because I was in love with a girl who had a dog. Mental illness, it all goes back to him and his pain over losing this girl who obviously still means a lot to him and is probably part of the reason that he's has this crappy life now 
is because he's a man and he's still heartbroken after a girl who left him however long. It could have been years ago. This is all great because it, it could all honestly be the way that Alfalfa feels. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna kill you right now. Darla I'm gonna like, kill you. Well, I learned as much he, in Little Rascals as I did in no, the relationship he's study hung up on of this girl Silver Lake. And he takes it out on the dogs. Also, in one of his hallucinations, because he has hallucinations yeah. very early on, and that's part of why I think he devolves into making all this up in his head. But in in that hallucination, we see Sarah's dog dead. Sarah over the dog eating it Sarah well she turns around and she's a dog she turns around and it's a dude dressed as her yeah yeah but doesn't the dog turn into a dude no he sees the dog dog, yeah he sees a treat and then he sees a dead dog with his rib cage out and then the next thing he sees is someone dressed like Sarah eating a human and then the human and the human splits apart comically right but there's some point when he sees a woman and in his mind, she turns into a dog. Well, they bark. Yeah, in the, in the scene that redoes that Marilyn Monroe scene. Oh, she starts barking. I, I, I wrote in there that he's over there, like, looking all, like, he's turned like, oh, on yeah. by her because she's naked and she, like, sticks her foot she's up. Like, she's like, join oh! me. And then she hops up and she, and then all of a sudden she, she starts, starts barking. barking and he, you just see his face just, like, just so grossed out by the fact that she's barking at him and then he it's it's reminding him come on in the water's so refreshing (laughs) those are the things though so like because this movie is playing in the realm of like dangling a figurative dog treat to you like hey do you hear Here's a little answer over here, but it's conditioned me to not trust anything that I'm seeing, which I think is that's kind fair. Of, it's mm-hmm. the point. So yeah. yes, there are things that allude to him doing this, but I actually really empathize with that moment when he's his most honest because he actually is breaking down, crying to the homeless king, which is something that I never hope I do. <laughs> And he explains why he has the dog treats. And I actually found that explanation to be his most true or honest answer to anything he's given in this movie. That's one of two moments in which he is truly honest with someone. And the first being that when asked how he's doing on that video call with Sarah down in the vault, he finally says that he's not doing great. Anybody else who asked him how he was doing, he said he was doing fine. He lies to his mom. You know, if he's lying to somebody that close to him, even his good friends, then how are we to trust what he's saying? His mom and Janet Gaynor, is that like another red herring? Janet Gaynor just keeps being brought up. And eventually at the end, isn't he watching a Janet Gaynor movie? I don't know. um, But they're looking at the end. He's looking at a Janet Gaynor painting with the girl who then gets shot in the reservoir. I think that this movie is chock full of classic Hollywood references. Right. Stuff that we're supposed to pay attention to. The movie's not really paying homage to them. It's it's like using it as the catalyst for what it's trying to say about Hollywood in general. Okay. I I just read one of my other defenses for um, why this is all in his mind. So we know that Playboy is very important to him, right? With the girl in the water, like, right. leaned back. When Millicent Sevens is killed in the reservoir, she's shot, 
right after giving him like the final, one of the final clues he needs to figure it all out. The way she dies is an exact replica of the Playboy cover. Right. Right. And right before she gets shot, they have an interaction. You know, they pass a dog shrine and Sam opens up about how he had been, when he was young, bitten by a dog, by a little terrier. I think another thing that we need to think about is how he reacts to people talking about it. He gets nervous. They seem very concerned and he either seems not concerned in the bar when Topher Grace is talking to him about the dog killer He's ripping pieces of paper over his drink, and mm-hmm. he doesn't really think anything about it. And in this scene, uh, Millicent Sevens says, if they kill dogs, they won't think twice about killing us. And Sam kind of just shrugs it off, and he says, I'm not sure that's true. Ripping and, up paper while someone's talking to you, that means you're nervous. And, I wrote that down. I was like, he's nervous talking about the dog killer. I have social anxiety. Like, I fidget. It could be a fidget. I do too. Thing. I like, do too. I'm not do, saying every I time, but I, we, I, I do. look, it's, listen, we all that movie. have anxiety here. <laughs> this is why we're <laughs> yeah, over so Zoom. I, this is the real reason. And see, this is this is either what you like about this movie or you don't like is that everything is so open to ter- to interpretation that the conversation can steer in any which way you want it to. You can apply meaning to any anything or nothing right not that i want every movie to like just lay tidy everything up in a nice little bow for me but i felt myself being more baffled than entertained yeah i don't know that even though i feel passionately about my theories i don't know that they're true it's just like what i find to be i don't know See, we opened the box on one thing. That's one thing. I'm not even on my trivia section of notes yet. And like it, it opens up pages of notes. Yeah, I'm on. I don't even have page numbers on here because I couldn't fit the page numbers on here without giving myself another two pages. So, OK, based on that, do you feel that that implies that the writer director of this movie, his intention was to make this thing so incredibly dense that you had to go on to this or because it's so open-ended and because there's so many metaphors that your brain is now applying meaning to things that don't, that aren't there. Yes. yes. The second one. I can't imagine that he had this grand scheme going into this movie. I think like people are starting to just derive their own stuff and which can just spiral and spiral and spiral. And that, and I took meaning from that listening to him talk about his writing process for this movie his girlfriend and him, he, he and his girlfriend were looking for houses in the Hollywood Hills. And, or maybe they weren't even looking for houses. They were just up there touring around. And he had a thought to himself where he just wondered, man, I wonder what all these people get up to. And he thought of this just whack ass <laughs> thing. And he drank six cups of coffee and he flurry wrote this script in days it didn't take him that long he had a fever dream and he wrote all of this crazy stuff and then tied the rope in between it i think he had a central commentary and then he added all of this stuff to make us lose our minds over details that don't matter i think that is actually more telling than he probably wanted it to be it follows came out which i enjoyed Mm -hmm. made an impact made a splash if he wrote this in three or four days, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Everything makes yeah. sense now because this feels like a first draft. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. because he had some success, he had a little, he had a bit of a blank check to do what he wanted. And I don't think it was as successful as it follows. Well, definitely was not. I agree with you, but I also think half of the reason why this stuck in my head was that he had the ability to go against uh, security to write something that he had fun with, get it made, and make something that made me feel a bit of curiosity. You know, like, I'm not going to get mad at him because he sent me on a mission to try and solve something and realize that I didn't, I came up empty-handed. Like, at some point, that has meaning to me. At some point, me reading through all of this bull on Reddit makes me realize that it doesn't matter. And that I'm not like this whole thing that I had planned out in my head of it being big and grandiose, grandiose, grandiose. How do you say that? Grandiose. 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 That sounds like a a meal that my grandma makes with gravy and black pepper. We're losing them. We're losing them. But like, wait, so are you just now, are you just saying right now that this movie made you feel something, made you feel enough to where you wanted to go explore and look deeper. And then at the, when you came out the other end of that tunnel, you realized that it was all meaningless. And that had a meaning to me. The, oh, oh, that's funny. I kind of just became the character. I just entered into that world of manic looking for everything. It made me watch the movie. Maybe again. that should have been it on the, me, the, maybe that should have been the copy for the poster. Spend, spend $15, it's all meaningless. Well, okay, I, I understand what you're saying, because that's why at the beginning I said it was entertaining. Like, deeper meaning or not, it's two hours or whatever of entertainment, and then if you have fun, you know, looking up answers, possible, you know, other rabbit trails afterwards, it still entertained you. I think there's value to that. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's what we chase after. I think that we... I just feel bad for Holden, ch- who uh, went... <laughs> I don't feel he bad. Went and checked out a bunch of stuff from the library and ended up realizing that it was all just a waste of time. I think it's. I haven't even. I. I haven't. I know, even but if we start touched, getting into that, we'll be here for seven on, hours. Here's a rule: we're not opening the can of worms on these things that I talk about. I think we just realize them and say, "Oh, that's f- dumb." <laughs> we as humans want to find something that has more meaning than is on the surface level, and I will always like the enemy movies of the you know, of, of, of Hollywood. I would like the, a serious men of Hollywood. I'm pretentious. Sorry. I, I'm an asshole. Like I get that. Like there's something that I find interest in that makes me want to see past getting punched in the face by Iron Man's suit. <laughs> I'll watch those movies and I'll be as entertained as the next person there. But if I get the opportunity to read more into something and maybe get something more out of it, even if that something is that it means nothing, like I will go to that movie again. Uh, I, I will be just as entertained with the journey as much as the ticket and looking at it uh, on the way there. Like I don't, I don't know how to how to round that off. No, absolutely. And that's that's me as a character coming out on this podcast is that that's what you're going to get. That's the real deal here. But I guarantee you, if I win the next quiz in three weeks, we're watching B-movie. <laughs> Damn it. No, I, I, I'm not going to go as deep into the rabbit hole on B-movie. I appreciate your passion 
for that. And I also enjoy those things. I just didn't feel like this movie had much to offer in its exploration. Well, of course. My main, my only point was that I feel bad that you derived that it was meaningless because I, I felt like you cared enough to go look into this stuff that, yeah, maybe all the threads that connect didn't really pay off. But its meaning is still there. It still has everything that we've just been talking about. I, I wanted it to. I wanted it to. And I wanted it to last week. Here's where I'll get into some listing of things. So recently, user Midnight Collar, C-O-L-L-A-R, found words using the copial cipher. Are you familiar with the copial cipher at all? No? Okay. So this was developed by Kevin Knight, a cryptologist who was famous for decoding the Zodiac's ciphers and who also is the cryptology consultant on Under the Silver Lake. And so what users in the subreddit found in that scene with the three Barbie dolls with the names under it was that those names coordinating with a certain Morse code that you see in the very first scene of the movie on the coffee menu, that phrase in Morse code represents what three words, T-H-R-E words. And if you notice on the billboard with the girlfriend who I can see clearly now, there is a, a little card on the edge of that says E equals E-E which means that it makes what T-H-R-E words and what three words is a geotagging site. It made coordinates instead of longitude and latitude. It uses a collection of three words, all from Webster's Dictionary, to be a coordinate on a map. And so using words found under the names of the three dolls, Betty, Marilyn and Lauren, they come out to tombstone sheriff entries. And if you go onto <laughs> whatthreewords.com and you put in tombstone sheriff entries, you get a location that is very near the Hollywood Hills of Los Angeles. Like in between there and Silver Lake? Just Not sorry. in between, but a little bit farther north in the Sequoia Mountain, Sequoia Reserve. A Reddit user Midnight Caller has been investigating the location coordinates, and he has mapped out how to get there. And he hiked there August 2nd through August 5th of 2020. So yesterday. So yesterday he got back. And I read a post today that summarized his journey, which who to thunk led to nowhere. <laughs> this was a 14 hour hike and the location is on a severe slope in between the Sequoia and Kings Canyon Park. And if the movie would have been a success, there would have been something there that the studio would have dropped <laughs> and then that person would now mm -hmm. run Universal Pictures. <laughs> Something like that. You know, a, a lot of users still think there's something there. Midnight Caller, on the other hand, is more more or less convinced that there is not anything there. I'm convinced that there is nothing Maybe there. Someone Maybe someone needs first. to go back with some digging tools. They're on like a 70 degree incline. There. I don't understand why that would be the location rather than that X marks the spot. And the movie is between, you know, it's by the Hollywood Hills, but it's between mm -hmm. there and Silver Lake. 
Well, so why wouldn't that be the secret location? There are other <laughs> three words that come up in the movie, which could be a reference to the Andy Griffith show that is on in the television for just a moment. It's an episode called Dogs, Dogs, Dogs. And it is an episode about Opie finding, I think the town of Mayberry is infiltrated with a bunch of stray dogs. That solves it. Opie's the dog killer. Opie's the dog killer. (laughs) Or it's Barney Five. Dogs, dogs, dogs leads to somewhere in California again. It's Ron it's Howard. It's a little more off the beat. Ron path. Howard's the dog It doesn't killer. seem <laughs> that right. He's, so it's just kind of a collection of Ron Howard's bullshit. getting his uh, his harem and his sarcophagus ready <gasps> so he can ascend. Ron Howard, if you're listening, we're sorry. I mean, this it's crazy because this subreddit has opened itself to, you know, infiltration from true conspiracy theorists who get on here and dig way too deep into the movie claiming that it foresees the disappearance of Jeffrey Epstein and also the coronavirus epidemic. It says that it's calling that. It says that, uh, what was the other one? Um, It's just a movie. It's just a movie. Guys, it's just a movie. It's just a movie. But I think there's somewhere in between because because obviously they did the filmmakers did put some of this in there on purpose. Oh sure. Well, so it's here, like I'll they definitely you. wanted people to go to some lengths to try and figure it out and get some sort of payoff. I'm ready. I'm preparing myself emotionally for Maddie to just wipe the floor with me in this this quiz. Oh, I hope. All right. Well, I have I have eight questions, so I'm going to start right out of the gate with a, an interesting one. Number one. Sing two of the songs that the songwriter plays during his medley. Sing them? You can name or you can sing them, but I thought it'd be fun if you couldn't think of the name of it. All right, well, there's Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit. There was uh, an Elton John song whose name I don't quite remember. Well, you probably need to I think there was Don't Stop Believing by Journey in there. Mm -mm. Are those... Did I... No, it wasn't. Did I get two? You got one. do I need to say the name of the song? I would I would I would like for you to or I would like for you to sing it. <sighs> Don't stop believing is is not I thought I heard the bass line at some point, but maybe I didn't. No. And Elton John is also not on my list. It is it is in there. It might be the version the that he plays. Songs is in there. You got one? You, you, you the, the So what is it? Smells like Teen Spirit and then there was an Elton John song. And if I get the question wrong, I will go back and replay it. And then I'm, I'm guessing somebody has listed these all out, though. So it's yes, it's, it has it's been futile for me to. Uh, I can't think of any other. You got one. I do remember reading something about maybe it was the Elton John cover of Pinball Wizard. Maybe. Next question is what movie does Sam's mother urge him to watch? I don't remember the name of it. Okay. In what magazine does Sam find the map to the cult tent in the Hollywood Hills? Uh, NES magazine. Super Nin- or Nintendo magazine. Nin- Nintendo Entertainment. Whatever you call it. Nintendo you magazine. Got the, you, got the, you got the most powerful word right. It's Nintendo Power magazine. I will, I will count that. Okay. 
Okay, do you remember the symbol behind the door in Sarah's apartment and painted over Sam's door at the end of the movie? Yeah. What does that symbol mean? Dead danger ahead or stay out, something like that. That's another symbol. Or stay symbol. silent? Stay silent? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes, stay quiet. That is what that means. Gotcha. Uh, following off of that, according to the homeless king, if you see a coyote, what should you do? Follow it. Yes, sir. What headstone are the movie stars standing on at the indie screening? Uh, it's Hitchcock, right? Yes. Oh, good. I'll do. I'll do one more for okay. bonus. What is Sarah's dog's name? Yeah, no idea. Okay. Chi-Chi. That's, that's, that's the right consonant. <laughs> so four out of eight, 50%. All right. Just like high school. Hello. Hello. I, I got four correct. Oh, I was going to tell you not to tell her. <laughs> oh, I got all of them correct. Okay. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Sweating. I reapplied my deodorant for this. These are so hard. You're not going to get... They're so hard. Name or sing two of the songs that the songwriter plays during his medley. Uh, I Want It That Way by NSYNC. Mm-hmm. Right? And then uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Okay. I should have... You know, I should have formed this question in that you cannot answer Smells Like Teen Spirit. Dang it! Too late. Formed it. I should have formed it because that was one of John's answers. Oh, well, did you give it to him? I, I gave it to him. Yeah, oh, I'm, giving you, I'm giving it to you. Okay. But could you name another one that's not? Probably not. Smells like Teen Spirit? Um, no, if you said another one, I'd be like, oh, oh well, yeah. the Pixies. All right. Damn it. Damn it. What movie does Sam's mom urge him to watch? Uh, On the phone. With Janet Gaynor in it. Okay, so I wrote down Seventh Heaven. Is that it? You are correct. <gasps> I'm correct. Yes. <laughs> this is what happens when you take notes. What does the symbol behind the door in Sarah's apartment or painted over the door in Sam's apartment mean? Stay quiet. Yes. According to the homeless king, if you see a coyote, what should you do? Follow it. Yes. In what magazine does Sam find the map to the cult tent in the Hollywood Hills? Some kind of Nintendo magazine. Okay. What headstone are the movie stars standing Hitchcock. on? Oh, Lord. So this is a bonus question. You, are, you already beat John, so... Give it to me anyway. What's Sarah's dog's name? Coca-Cola. She wrote that in her notes. I, I did. Saw it. I, saw I can show it to you. Hundred percent. All right. I am not surprised in the least. I'm good at tests. Man, now it I doesn't wish I mean I'm made smart. It Just means I know how to study. So, ugh, we're gonna have to see. So there, there you go, John. There's the. So that's anytime, what it feels like going up against Maddie. Well, anytime Maddie is the host, we have a chance. Anytime Maddie's not the host, it's going to be Maddie in the next episode. Get ready. I'm calling it now. That means I need to be prepared with my movie, doesn't it? What about the hours? Have y'all seen the hours? The no. little hours? No, the oh. hours. I have not seen the hours. Let's do the hours. I didn't but like I the way I said that. I do know it's... <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the let's hours. Get ready. <laughs>
For the hours, the sleeper hit of 98, or whenever it came out, Uh, starring Nicole Kidman. And Meryl Streep. And a a prosthetic nose. That's all I know about it. That's all I know about it. I I do know that Philip Glass wrote the score. I actually do have some, some of that score. I just haven't seen the movie. I remember... Liking it. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Wait, Nicole well, Philip, Kidman. Philip Glass is amazing. Oh, she is. Yeah, she is. Who is she? She Where plays she? Um, Victoria Wolf or Virginia Wolf. Is that her on the front cover? Yeah, that's why she doesn't look like her. She looks like Virginia Wolf. So next episode will be the hours. Maddie will be our host, which gives me another chance of coming back and being the host at some point. You know, I'm, I gotta admit, I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm in, I'm enjoying not being the host. I think it's, uh, <laughs> it's nice. if, if, if I never do it again, I'll be happy just knowing <laughs> that we talked about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which is the greatest movie ever made. The most important movie. <laughs> we'll see what happens. You never know. You, never and you know, know what? I enjoyed hosting despite looking like a lobster at the beginning yeah, you, uh, d- you cooled really, down a little I bit. Really, I really well, enjoyed it. I, nobody, I found the end of see. my sentences. I've taken a screen cap. I'll be posting it on Reddit. <laughs> I'm saying, this man defiled your movie. The Hours. Watch it. We'll talk about it. Where is you it available? Uh, how can we watch The Hours? I swear is to my, God, if I, if the, I have to buy this movie. Uh, <laughs> is the biggest question here. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's see. No, oh, it's no, on, no, it's no, on, no. Oh, you know, all... Everybody, it's on Tubi. You know the thing that you have. <laughs> oh no! Sitting in your pocket, it's on Tubi for free. It's on Amazon Prime, but you gotta rent it. You everything's it's, it's on four dollars. You can afford four dollars, John. I'll give you. We gotta $4. write. We gotta. Can we write this off? Julianne Moore. That's the. That's the third one. I mean, yeah, I'll rent it if if I have to. We're we're, we're watching it regardless. I'm glad we don't ever have to watch Under the Silver Lake again. I thank you guys for sticking it out with me for the, we've almost, we've almost been recording for three hours. There's still way more and to talk about, but. We said a lot without actually saying anything at all. Just like, just like the, the movie. Silver Lake. Just like the movie. <laughs> oh boy. Get it on Blu-ray or 4K DVD where available, which is nowhere. Thank you for listening. Listen. Thank listening. you for listening. <laughs> We always need to end on a laugh.